very interesting things like interest. If you have interest in interest, then this is the program for you. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to an exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake McClure. Yep, today Jeff McClure is back from vacation, but his welcoming party included COVID. So send him your best. He's doing well, if you can call it well for being sick. But uh, he didn't want to grace the airways with his shedding virus. Um, I don't know if that would be like a mass spreader event, if he would be talking through the radio. You might all get it. Uh, so he is, uh, please send him your, your best thoughts. He's doing well, considering, uh, but probably shouldn't be on the air. Uh, so today, Jake McClure, yours truly, or mostly truly, a nickname, Jake. My actual name is Jacob. So there's yours truly. Is here to reach you all by myself. Hopefully you're not all by yourself as we talk. Now it sounds like I'm giving romantic advice instead of investment advice. This is the personal wealth coach and I've got to give disclosures. I just gave you the first ones. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, if you don't get the humor so far, you might want to change to a different program immediately. We're going to be test talking about amazing things, very interesting things like interest. If you have interest in interest, then this is the program for you. If you don't find the talk of the Federal Reserve Board fascinating and riveting, then uh, this might not work. Hopefully, I'll make it entertaining, but there's only so much you can do with a stodgy bunch of people that meet in, in closed doors in a dark room. Okay, so what are my disclosures? Number one, the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm, as well as this program. This program got the name first, uh, but it led us to making the investment advisory firm. An investment advisory firm that's registered with the SEC. What does that mean? Well, investment advice falls into a different category than financial advice. I know that's weird. Financial advice, investment advice sounds like the same thing. It's kind of like being an engineer, though. You, if you purport to being an engineer, there's a credential that goes with that. And being a fiduciary is involved in investment advice. That means that you've got to put the client's interests way ahead of your own, not just ahead of your own. In a lot of cases, the sole interest. Um, but we can't do that on the air. We can't do fiduciary investment advice on the air. I wish we could, but there's all kinds of privacy issues. I need to know who I'm talking to, and I may not be talking to anyone. The world of AM radio might be dead at the moment. I don't know. But it might also have lots and lots of people listening, so I can't give advice to people except in a very generalized sense. Then that advice goes in as education because investment advice is personalized. I know that's over the top for, for a disclosure, but people ask me about this. Why do you say that? So we're giving education, and hopefully I'm giving some good stuff over the past few weeks about the history of banking and why it is that we do what we do, and hopefully keeping it somewhat entertaining. <sighs> it's a dry subject. There's no pictures of artillery barrages or anything like that for the great history lessons, but you know we, we can do bank artillery barrages. It's, it's still damaging, so we'll talk about that stuff. Next up, 
Just because the firm's registered with the SEC to give that fiduciary advice doesn't mean that the SEC thinks that we are some kind of anointed chosen anything. That's just who's in charge of making sure that we follow the rules. Doesn't mean that we even follow the rules, though we think we do. Their job is to make sure we do. The reason why we mention that is part of our obligations as a fiduciary is to tell people who we're registered with. There. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. And the bunch of stuff, that's technical terms, by the way. This is, I know it's academic and those are hard words to follow, but the bunch of stuff that we get are from sources that we deem to be reliable. Why do we deem them so? Because we've been following them for a long time and they don't lie to us that much. Sometimes there's weirdnesses and we'll talk, talk to you about that stuff, uh, but we're not warranting or guaranteeing. Most of the time, I'm not the source of this information. Well, some of it I am. The stuff that I make up on the spot. Did you know that 37.8% uh, of statistics are made up on the spot? I just made that up right there. Yep, that's that's me. You can measure it though, 100% so far. Well, that's two of them. Yep. All right, so sources deemed reliable. Um, the, the, and, and I didn't say it in the way that my dad usually does. We don't pay for this radio program. We do provide it to the studio. Uh, we don't get paid either. This is not paid commercial programming. It is some kind of a weird mutated volunteer service that's gone way too long. We like it still. And generally speaking, when older Baldy is on Jeff, he's my dad. And generally speaking, the two hours that we have on the radio together is the longest conversation we have during the week. So it's pretty awesome. And if you listen to us in our radio program, that's us in real life too. So you might think, oh man, these guys are so fascinating. Just talk to our wives a little bit about that. Um, his wife is my mom. I've been working with him and his, his wife is also married to my dad. So if you can figure that out, older Baldy is my dad. I'm Jake. We've been working together since 1991, 32 years now. Goodness gracious. He says insanity is hereditary you get it from your kids but i might dispute that i am getting it from my kids but i think you get it both from both directions it's definitely hereditary though we've been going doing this together for a long time so that doesn't make us any writer <laughs> any more correct uh but it does give us some experience to figure out when we were wronger and i think i made two new words up statistically that's important okay so what happened this week in the market hmm a lot and nothing. Uh, yep, that's the end. And in weather, there was rain this week, except for where there wasn't. And no. All right, I'll go back to the market. The S&P 500 stock index, we refer to it using the symbol SPX because there's a lot of ways of measuring the S&P 500. Some with dividends, some without. It's fascinating. Sometimes the same newspaper can give you two numbers on the, in the same story as to what the closing uh, was for the S&P 500 because they're getting it from two different sources. Just a heads up. It's weird. We think we have got this all figured out. Nope. Nobody's got it figured out. We just, um, Wall Street just presents a sophisticated front. It's only a front. All right. So the S&P 500 um, is acting kind of funny. It's very counterintuitive right now. Uh, it, it has, um, it has risen it, it, or it's risen over the past quarter, this last week, it was down 0.01%. Yes, that's a very small amount. 
Even when you annualize that, that's a small amount. Um, it closed the week at 4105.02. That's still way above the 4,000 mark, which is pretty significant. For some reason, we like round numbers. And I always say for some reason, this is actually a study subject. I, my area of, of, of research and study is behavioral finance. And round numbers have importance, even though they have no statistical importance based on the number themselves. Why is the number 4,000 more important than the number 3,999 or 4,001? It is. You don't need to know why. Some things we don't know yet, but we're way, way above that, for some reason, emotionally important number. It's 15% higher than it was at the bottom in October. So that sounds really, really good. It's 83% up from its low in March of 2020. That's the depth of the pandemic's panic. 83% is still a fantastical number. It's just true. Uh, but having said those wonderful glowing numbers, we're, the SPX is down 14% from its peak in January of 2022. So 14% down or 83% up or 15% up or they're all true. Uh, Benjamin Disraeli's quote, and he was a Catholic. Uh, so I'll give you some preface there. Uh, the, the kinds of, of, uh, things that would send you to hell in the old Catholic faith and, and the current Catholic faith too. Um, some types of lies are called damned lies. That's not with the, the curse word. That's the actual original meaning of it. And uh, it means it's, a, it's an atrocious enough lie to send you to hell. Uh, yes, I'm being very scary on purpose. It's a very scary subject. Benjamin Disraeli's quote is, there's three types of lies in order of severity. Lies, those are no good. Damned lies, oh, those will send you to hell. And statistics. So perspective on statistics, watching where the numbers are measured from and to, uh, we are coming up on a three, we're at the three-year point where the three-year numbers look so fantastically, amazingly good, you would think we're not in a bear market right now. We're kind of in a bull because we're headed up from the bottom, but you don't know you're in a bull until after it's been announced. It's very weird. Okay, uh, so that's the SPX. It's up 4105. We follow another one, the CRSP US Midcap Value Index. Why is that? Because the SPX is really dominated by very large companies in growth and tech, where the mainstay companies that you would consider just what most of America runs on is not. Twitter or Alphabet or Meta, those are big chunks of the economy, but the vast majority of it is elsewhere. And we look at the mid-cap value because they're not trying to grow drastically. They're being valued on what they own rather than their potential growth. That's if you think about your average company, that's what it is. That's why we like to use this index. And it wasn't, um, so it continued uh, the sell-offs because of banks being in it. So it was down for the week 1.11%, whereas the SPX was down 0.001%. Um, it's still up. Uh, it's only up 11% from Jan or down 11% from January of 2022, where the SPX is 14% down from that. Um, so that it kind of gives you some comparison. They're different amounts of drop the mid cap value index didn't fall as far as the spx because they're different kinds of companies they're not 
so dependent on what they're going to bring to the table next year or the year after, but rather, will you continue to do what you're doing now? Uh, The yield on the 10-year treasury note also fell this week, which is weird because when the market drops, you tend to see a rise in interest rates and vice versa. He didn't see this this time. And there's a lot of weirdness that happens in the market these days. Uh, so it's uh, this week it's at 3.39%. Uh, it, it didn't drop a lot. It was at 3.48% the, the week before. Why are interest rates dropping after the Federal Reserve raised their rates? We'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Um, the uh, yield curve is still inverted. That means the short-term rates are higher than the long-term rates. That's backwards from where it usually is. Usually your car loan is less than your house loan. And if you went with just the treasury rates right now, it would appear that your car loan is higher than your house loan. And that's a little backwards. Uh, If you've got good credit, you would expect to see like a 0% to a 2% car loan and and a higher house loan. Well, it's kind of reversed right now. You might still get a lower rate if if the company giving you the loan is doing a loss leading on, we're just trying to sell the car, we'll make the profit from that and lose a little money on the interest. Uh, That's fine. So home prices fell in January for the seventh straight month across the nation. That's a big deal. Um, A year over year basis, we're still up 3.8% on home values from January to January, Uh, but it's down 5.6% from December. That's a big drop in one month in the value of houses across the nation. 5.6% in a month is faster than the prices were rising. So what does that mean? It means that it's, it is, you can't necessarily get that same seller's market that you were having before. There's different, there's places where you still can. Central Texas is still in that category. Listing a house in Central Texas, north of Austin, not in Austin, typically the first couple of weeks come in with multiple offers above the asking price. In Austin, that's not the case right now. Most offers are coming in below asking price at this point in Austin. So it kind of gives you a concept of what's going on in the world. Central Texas is in a weird spot north of Austin and way south of Austin because a lot of people that are moving to Austin and people are still moving there don't want to pay the Austin housing prices. So they're buying in Buda, in Gerald, in Temple, way, way up away from the Austin area. And you can see this around Boston. You can see it around Denver. You can see it around San Francisco as well. So just know that there's a downward pressure on housing prices. And if you listen to us in 2017 and 2018, even as far back as 2016, you're going to hear something weird. We predicted this. We didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic. We certainly didn't know that the bank failures with SVB and Signature were were going to be around. We didn't think that we were going to have high inflation between then. But that's a normal part of history, and it was made it easy to predict. What, What is it that we predicted? We said, coming out of the Great Recession, housing prices plummeted. They just tanked because people realized we had too many houses. People were building houses and selling housing at a very high rate of speed. The people that were buying the houses were buying them to sell them to someone else rather than to hold them or live in them. So we had a, a lot of extra houses and it put a lot of builders 
out of business. It put a lot of the housing, house building uh, companies, tot- I mean, the employees were decimated by this. Uh, you can see this in the illegal immigration records. Um, in, in the early 2000s, in the early aughts, is it the aughts or the noughts? Um, they're, they're all the same. <clears throat> we had about an 11 million person illegal population, which is a pretty significant portion of the economy, of the, of the populace. After the recession or during the recession, about half of that population went back to Mexico because a large percentage of, of that population was from Mexico. We may have a larger population today of illegal immigrants. It's hard to measure this stuff, and usually you have to find out about it five years after the fact. But the population isn't centralized in one country anymore. It's across a large swath of South America and much, much smaller from Mexico. Well, why? What's going on there? It's a different kind of illegal immigration as well. Back in the early 2000s, most of the illegal immigration was a single person coming over, not a family. Uh, and you can, you can look at that at where the Border Patrol was picking people up and, and the statistics are pretty clear coming through here. What were they coming over for? Well, to work. We were employing them, building houses, mowing lawns, in uh, hotels, in restaurants, generally in the kitchen in the restaurants, and generally in the cleaning services of the hotels. Okay, we'll jump forward to the Great Recession. People didn't eat out at restaurants as as much, and people weren't going to hotels as much. So the population dropped. That's a big deal. Coming back from the recession, these builders that were building, both the employees, contractors of the company, illegal or legal, they were out of work for a while. They had to find something else to do. A lot of the framers became carpenters, which has a different level of things that they can sell. They can sell furniture and cabinetry instead of just framing a house. Um, And then 10 years later, as the building starts back up again, 2018 or so, we say, all right, we got to start building again. And we realize the experienced workforce that we had before isn't there. The average age up in the early 2000s of the, of the worker on these job sites was in the late 40s and early 50s. These are people that had a long experience in building houses and in masonry. And you come forward to 2018, they're not in their, early, their late 40s and early 50s anymore. Now they're in their late 50s and early 60s. And they didn't come back. So we had fewer and fewer people to build the houses, which caused the labor prices to come up. This is fascinating stuff. It doesn't mean that I am advocating for or endorsing in any way illegal immigration or any of this. It's just economics. There was a population here working that isn't here working anymore. That raises the cost of labor, period. Is, is, are there things you can do to lower costs of labor? Sure, you can bring immigration in legally. You can do it illegally. But you have to have a trained workforce And if you don't have a trained workforce, you pay the people that are trained more because you want to keep them. So prices were up there. Come forward a bit. It's still hard to grow and build new houses. So housing prices start up. Interest rates are low, have been low. You know, they're going, this is period time, 2018 coming forward. And then we have the pandemic hit and house building came to a screeching halt for about a month. And that has a big impact on overall building 
If you're halfway through a project or you're just starting a project and you stop for a month, there's a lot of stuff you got to come back to and figure out where you were. It slows down the whole process. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal when it comes to how long it took to build the houses. At the same time that the pandemic hits, people who were relatively satisfied with their abodes, their place of residence, are now stuck inside that abode for an extended period of time with nothing to do except for look around at the things that they don't like about where they're living, which caused a lot of people to get into the housing market. Cabin fever tends to make you want to move. It doesn't matter that moving to a different cabin is still going to give you cabin fever, and there's a lot of buyer's remorse over the purchases of wherever they went. And they were like, I bought this for the wrong reason. I should have waited. The pandemic is a weird time, and we'll be studying it for years and years to come. I think one of the big things about it, when, when I ask people how long they were stuck in their house and not able to go to work, I get a range of answers that is amazing. Anywhere from, oh, it was no more than a week to several years. And neither, none of those answers are correct, by the way. It's a very weird behavioral issue when we're thinking about memories. Memories, especially long-term memories of when things occurred and how long they lasted, are built around major milestones in your other memories. Like, Julia's wedding. That's a good example. I don't know Julia. I'm just using her name. Julia's wedding. Was that right around Julia's wedding? Oh, okay. That's how long it was. We didn't have milestones during the pandemic and the lockdown. So it's like this homogenous time where you can't really figure out when it started or when did when it ended in your mind. And, and I really, those of you that are listening right now, I want you to think about that for a second. How long were you stuck in your house? Because we were all stuck in our house at some point. How long did it last? And you have these vague ideas of, I think about, but the reality was that most people were stuck in their house about seven months. Some people remember it as two and a half years and other people remember it as only a few weeks. But when you start talking about it, you realize, whoa, this was more than half a year. And it was really, really, there's no landmarks in there. There's nothing standing up above the other memories to say this is how long it lasted. Even the changing of the seasons is hard to figure out back in the pandemic. When when did it start? When did it end? It's fascinating stuff, and we'll be studying that for a long time. It affected the housing market tremendously. So now housing prices are coming down. Well, why are they coming down? We still don't have enough houses We haven't overbuilt like we did before. We still don't have enough people building houses. Why are housing prices coming down? Isn't this supply and demand? Well, the Federal Reserve destroyed some demand, and it's called demand destruction in the academic world. Demand destruction. (laughs) What is it? Well, it made it too expensive to buy a house. Housing prices weren't enough. The interest rate on the mortgage is way up now. So the amount that you're spending per month is a lot more. That's important. It's, it's really important to understand we still don't have enough houses and there's still builders out there building and some of them might go out of business because people aren't buying the houses yet. This is going to stabilize. We absolutely had a bubble in the housing market. We absolutely had a bubble in the used car market. Now, it was a temporary thing. It was based on not having enough at the time. 
And we're getting that equalized over the last week, by the way. Used car prices have dropped down below new car prices for the first time since about September of 2020. So those of you that were waiting to sell your used car till the very top of the market, you're past that. It's been coming down for a while. You, you shouldn't be timing the sale of your used car like that. And at some point, those used cars are going to be worth a lot less when the new cars have a lot of innovations. And that's really, there's a lot of stuff to talk about on the innovation front. When I talk about not enough houses on the market, meaning that this is a temporary downturn in the housing market, that's something to just be aware of. Until we build enough houses to meet the demand for a big chunk of, a, of the younger generation that wants a house that can't have it, then housing prices will recover. That's just the way things work. At some point, they will buy their house. They are not going to live with their parents forever. There were all these myths that people talked about. Oh, maybe this new generation is just comfortable living with their parents. No, it's not necessarily that they are comf not comfortable living with their parents. It's that their parents are not comfortable living with them. <laughs> the feathers are being removed from the nest. It's not quite as cushy and warm as it used to be, even though it's expensive to get out. So what else is going on in the big wide world? Talking about used cars and how that's not a great place for investing at the moment. It can be if you have the right car and you recognize that internal combustion at some point is going to disappear. It will. Not because of ecology, not because of the uh the green movement but because economically it's a lot more viable to use an electric vehicle at some point as if technology just goes on the discoveries that we've already made in batteries the discoveries that we've already made in motors and in software then electric cars are going to surpass internal combustion regardless of what any government does and if you like internal combustion it's not going to be impossible to get them. It'll just be a niche market. Um, if, if you think about, and Salado is where our firm is based, Salado, Texas. And it feels like every weekend there's an old car event. Um, there's a lot of old cars that come from the 1920s all the way up through the, the 1980s. And uh, that will eventually be all internal combustions at some point. And one thing that is very noticeable on these parades is if you're standing on the side of the road as they drive by, it's stinky. It's really, really stinky. And if you had only those cars on the road today, we'd have a lot more pollution than we, than we do. It's the only kind of car that was available when they were made. They didn't have the exhaust controls and the cleanliness that had to happen. So that's come along, a long ways. And cars, internal combustion cars, drive a lot longer than the old internal combustion cars did. These cars that are driving millions of miles now when it was a kind of a milestone to hit 100,000 in my childhood. And this is normal. Technology is proceeding. Why do I say internal combustion is going away? It isn't because I don't like it. It's because the new technology is better. If over time it's less expensive to buy an electric car and the electric car drives as long or longer than you would on a tank of gas... And you can make the time to recharge as quick as a tank of gas or quicker, then why wouldn't you? If it's cheaper and more efficient and more comfortable, of course you will. And I remember people talking about windows in the cars, you know, the crank window versus the electric window where you push a button and it goes up and down and they go, well, I don't want to pay that extra. Well, it's not extra anymore. It's kind of extra to get the crank because they don't make them like that. There's a few places that do, but it's still... It isn't a 
price point issue anymore. They don't give you a benefit for not having the electric. In fact, sometimes it's more expensive to have the hand crank. Why? Because they don't make that many of them. So coming forward, if we're talking about coal or natural gas, why is it that the coal industry is still in massive decline? We had a president who based a lot of his early rhetoric on saving coal. During the Trump administration, money was poured in from the government to save the coal industry. It did, it's not working. Why not? Don't we want to save coal? Well, technology's moved beyond it. Coal is not as efficient or as clean to burn as natural gas. If it costs less and is more efficient, people tend to use it. I mean, just look at Amtrak. Amtrak was the way you got around on trains for a long time. Is the way you traveled across the country. And we're putting a bunch of government money into it to preserve this as a method of transportation. But if it's less expensive or more convenient overall to use a different way, then people do. It's not profitable to run the Amtrak. And it's a money loss to the U.S. government and has been for decades. Should we get rid of it? That's not what I'm about. I'm not talking about getting rid of it or not getting rid of it. I'm saying it's a replaced technology that we're hanging on to. Coal... The only reason why coal would stay as a technology for energy generation is if we pay extra money just to have it as a backstop. I don't know why we would do that. Electric cars are the same way. When they become cheaper and more efficient, then people will move to them. And it's begun. People are moving that direction already. Now, if you're living in a city, it's probably far more efficient to have an electric car than if you're in a rural area. If you have to drive a long distance, the battery life isn't there yet. But just looking at the technology that's already been developed, the research that's already done, prototypes that have already been made, the length that a battery will last is getting a lot longer. Don't expect that on the market this year or the next five years. But after that, you should expect to see a battery that'll last three to 6,000 miles before a recharge is necessary. That's just existing technology that's being implemented. This is There's big stuff going on there. But we're out of time for this hour. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we do provide investment advice and portfolio management to people of high net worth. The phone number locally, voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week is 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, The Personal Wealth Coach or tpwc.com and you can read our newsletter, sign up for the newsletter, contact us through the contact form. You can email us at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. We actually read those on a daily basis. Um, and uh, until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.